0: Good evening and welcome to the Yeah, nah podcast. Is that what it's called? I'm, I'm really so. not. Okay, I'm not used to reading this. Uh, in fact, when I say reading this, I have nothing to read. Unfortunately, Craig is not here for the podcast this time and he's left me no notes. He reads the same thing at the beginning of every episode. I can't find it on Google Drive. I can't find it anywhere. So this is me ad-libbing. I I hope this is not just a rambling welcome, but it feels professional and polished like Craig. But as I said, welcome to the NR podcast. Um, This is the official podcast of the New Zealand Skeptics. And today I am joined by Bronwyn. Hello, hello. And we have Katrina from the committee here as well. Hello. And we have Al, who I think this is now his third or fourth contribution to the newsletter. So he's come on to talk to us as well. Hey, Al. Hi there. Okay, guys, so are we gonna be all right without Craig? Are we gonna survive the evening, do you think?
1: We will, you know, Craig is here with us in spirit.
0: No, there's no such thing as spirit. So what you're really saying is (laughs) Craig's not here at all, right? He's just abandoned us, basically.
1: (laughs) Well, he's gallivanting across the Australian uh, desert. And I think I'm mighty, mighty jealous of his experiences that he's having, seeing all the nice photography that he's doing.
0: (laughs) Okay. So we have possibly five topics to get through tonight. But if you guys talk too much, we might find we can't fit them all in. So um, let's see how we go. Let's see how many of them we can do justice in an hour or an hour and 10. We honestly have no idea how long you guys like our podcast to be. We just kind of talk until we run out of steam and then we stop it. Let's start with the first article. So, Katrina, you um, you took over the newsletter um, this weekend. How was it?
2: Yeah, so I wasn't expecting to do that, but, um, yeah, it's fine.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's normally Bronwyn that I, uh, I spring this on. Hey, Bronwyn, do you want to do the editorial this week? But this time, given that you'd written two articles in one weekend, I figured I'd uh, I'd surprise you with it instead.
2: Yeah, I didn't mean to write two articles. I kind of wrote one, and then I thought, oh, that's a bit flaky. So I'll I'll write a proper one.
1: So thank you, <laughs> Katrina, for uh, coming going into the breach for us this weekend.
2: <laughs> yeah, unintentionally. Um, yes. So um, so one of the articles, the one I I thought was probably a little bit more lightweight, but it's got. Um, 101 stuff in it, I guess, is um I gave it a clickbaity title, Detox Your Mind from Junk Science with this one simple trick, which is not possible. It's not that simple. And I guess it's, you know, um people are curious and they're always seeking out information. And so most people kind of sitting there checking social media feeds, checking news streams, listening to podcasts, reading whatever we can get. And it's what Most people do, but the world's overflowing with information and it's really hard to work out what is worth spending the time on and what is not. And I was starting to notice that some of the stuff might be momentarily entertaining, but just kind of like bad TV, I couldn't actually remember what I'd watched or listened to later. It was just absolute mind candy. And so I kind of noticed there's some things there around the things I'm, that are wasting my time. And I have started to make a conscious effort to clean up my media and my news feeds so that I have more time to listen to real stuff and real news. And um, so, for example, I was listening to a psychology podcast. So I listened to a few of those, and one of them started to mention... Transcendence just a few too many times and in fact their course on Transcendence that they ran and so I just dropped that podcast it was using quite a popular news feed platform that a lot of people listen to and um, it just had a lot of junk and I think the final straw for me was something about Megan Markle and I just think, no I can't deal with this anymore there was that sort of stuff coming up and then what I was noticing is it looked like there's a lot of news articles but it was the same stuff being recycled so you know here's the next five minute update of what happened the next day on the thing that isn't really changing at all or a different angle or several reporters were just writing about the same topic so, so you know how could I get more time um, and it was just starting to drop some of this crap that's coming in And think about, well, what's the stuff that I really enjoy listening to? And what do I want to focus my time on? Um, So I identified sort of seven things that were making me drop these feeds. And um, so (laughs) I'll go through them. So one was just that if something sounded a little bit too exciting, it's probably a reason to be a little bit cautious. Um, so when you're thinking about science, it's a gradual process. So it's very seldom that things come out from the field out of nowhere. They'll, um, if it's a medicine or something, it's going to start, you know, with experiments on rats or zebrafish, long before it gets to humans. And then the process is going to go from there. But it can take many years to get through the whole process. So to suddenly have a miracle cure for cancer, for example or Alzheimer's, something that's happened recently is, you know, you should be looking at that with a bit of a side eye. Um, and I think
0: I think what we see with that as well is that sometimes really sciencey sounding sources can be very tempted to do this same thing, right? So I effing love science and other places often drop into these salacious articles about, wow, look at this. And when you read the details and you read elsewhere, it turns out that it's not what they make it out to be.
2: Yes, that, that's exactly right. And um, and in fact, what I've noticed when I'm doing research for some of the articles and other things is just even the articles about the actual scientific studies are pretty bad. So the people who have written it have either not read or ignored the content of the article. And it could be saying something completely different. I, I came across one where all of the references in the research article were completely not what they said. They were completely different topics. Like, they weren't even connected. They just stuck a section of random journal articles at the bottom and put numbers oh. across in there. So, um, you know, you've got to be careful, because they were saying, this is fact because I've got quoting numbers, lots of references. But when you looked at references, it was... Completely different stuff,
0: so... And probably all of us do that, where we'll read something and when it's got half a dozen references at the bottom. You, you know, if you don't have the time to read them or the interest, you, you trust that they are relevant.
2: Yeah. Except for me, apparently. Um, (laughs) So here I am clicking all these things going, what the? You know, so so when I look at these things, I'm actually clicking the links and the links and and going back into the research. So the other thing to watch for there is just speculative language. You know, this technique could ultimately lead to a cure for Alzheimer's. And it's like, well, excuse me, how many steps are there between, you know, the cell and the petri dish that did a particular thing and actually a human being from a complex disease that we don't yet understand, you know. So so I think, you know, whether they're using a lot of that kind of language, it might be something you you need to watch for. And they might just be making it up to get attention. And yes, it might be something that if all the holes in the cheeses line up, it does end up with that, but it seems it's more likely than not it won't. Um, <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah and I, th- I think Betridge's law of headlines it's a, it's a little trite but that idea that if the headline is asking a question will this new drug cure cancer it's probably going to be no and not yes it's it again it's just speculative it's just trying to draw you in it's like a like the one of the older versions of clickbait headlines
2: um so the second one I had on my list is just said it was too simple and it's this whole quick fix thing you can come into that. So you just do one thing and it fixes everything. Or, you know, we solve cancer or meditate for 10 minutes a day and improve your whole life, you know, that kind of garbage. And, you know, there are things you can do to um, improve things, but it's highly unlikely that there'll be one simple, easy thing that you can do that would solve a complex problem. And so that. Uh, there should be warning bells if you get that sometimes there's just broad conclusions that aren't really thinking about individual groups and the other one that I really kind of hate is where they categorise things as good or bad, so here are the 10 foods you shouldn't eat and here are the 10 foods you replace them with here's the um, bad uh, medicines and good medicines and there's actually no such thing, there aren't good foods and bad foods a few, I mean I remember I had gestational diabetes and I was eating Mentos at one point because my blood sugar went low so in that context they were good Um, but most people probably say oh you probably shouldn't be eating candy." So I think everything just depends on the context and what we're comparing it to and what we're trying to achieve and these oversimplifications are really attractive for us because they help us understand a complex thing. We've only got so much space in our brain but they're probably a bit of a warning sign that you're not getting the full information.
0: And I love that there's a graph out there. It's been out there for years that's got um, a plot of different foods and whether they cause or protect from cancer. And it's got things like chocolate and tomatoes and a few others on there. And for each of them, this graph shows a whole bunch of dots for these studies on both sides of the axis. So, you know, there there are studies out there, like 24 of them saying that chocolate will cause cancer, and then there's another 17 saying chocolate will prevent cancer. Um, And so it's, it's never that simple as you say. And apart from anything else, I guess, you know, there are hundreds of different cancers, so that adds complexity. But, yeah, the idea that something is either good or bad it's either one or the other it's as you say a massive oversimplification
1: now mark you mentioned the i effing love science um newsletter Mm. or facebook page i mean that's a really interesting point to make because when that first came out it was a very interesting very legit facebook page at least and then over years i think probably the original content creator left the project and other people have taken it over. And we've seen that time again, where once credible websites, particularly for science and skepticism, sort of uh, fall apart as the years go by.
0: We have. And one of the most interesting ones that I noticed a while ago was um, Science Daily, I think it is, which was started by an ex-chair of the New Zealand Skeptics, Vicky Hyde. I think the website is Science Daily, but that one somebody linked me to a few months ago, just somebody that doesn't know Vicky Hyde knows that I'm in the Skeptics. And he sent me a link to an article saying, oh, what is this nonsense? And I read it, and sure enough, it was misrepresenting the science horribly. And presumably, Vicky would be aghast to see that the website that she used to run would be promoting clickbaity science articles rather than the hardcore, serious science. But uh, I guess once you hand this kind of thing over, once you take your money and walk away, or even once you just give it away for free and trust somebody to look after it, often that can go wrong.
1: You, know, you have to do an active process of constantly culling your newsletters and constant evaluation in order to get that junk out of your inbox.
0: That's a really good point. So a good source can quite easily go bad, especially when there's a temptation to get more revenue from ad clicks and things like that.
2: Um yes, your adverts, um, for matrices, Mac. We can't forget <laughs> that. The other um hate is anecdotal opinion presented as evidence or facts. And you get this, this has happened in the anti-vaxxers quite a lot in their um, comment threads and things, but it's, it's it can get really convincing if you get several people in a row or, or a ton of people failing story after story of, for example, the negative side effects of the vaccine or whatever. And that's just their subjective experience, possibly going and being quite biased and seeing everything that followed the vaccine was caused by the vaccine. And you're also not hearing from anybody that says, well, it didn't do anything to me because the forum isn't exactly conducive to that. And who wants to say nothing interesting? So I guess you get, these anecdotes pulled one upon another, it's not evidence, and it's not good sampling, it's going to be biased, and there's also people that sort of post opinions, and that's interesting, I mean, people should be able to have opinions and write about their opinions about things, but if they are continually presented as evidence or statements of fact, then I would say I probably need to steer away from that source. You know, someone saying, I'm telling you that these are the facts and this is what happened, um, but not offering any evidence for it. um, You know, probably something's gone a bit wrong there.
0: That one I find actually a little bit convincing for me at times, and I have to kind of rein my unskeptical side in that, like I, I know in my logical brain that the plural of anecdote is not data. Um, and I love that phrase, but at the same time, when I'm on an anti-vax website or Facebook group or something, and I start to read these very human stories of people who are having troubles in their life, and when you know the the overly simplistic way that this has been put together is that the common theme is that they've all had the COVID vaccine, there is a little twinge of but what if it is the COVID vaccine? You know, there's all these stories here, and then you have to go. No, they're not verified. Quite a few of these are secondhand. Let's go back and see what the science says. And of course, it's a very different story. But those human stories, those, you know, feeling for other people, I guess we have a natural affinity for, you know, feeling sympathetic for others. And so it's easy to fall into that trap, I think.
2: Yes, yes. I've I've been there as well. And so I guess that's why I'm sort of saying, try not to stick this junk in your brain. Um, it might be entertaining but it goes in there somewhere and our brain doesn't always pull up the facts and go oh no that was a piece of rubbish I read a while ago it might just pop up in your brain as a fact um, and so rubbish in rubbish out so you need to be a little bit careful about what you put in your brain and yeah by all means go and do your research and see what these people are saying but if you can kind of have a safe space in terms of your consumption of the stuff you enjoy and there's sources of truth, then that will help vaccinate you, if you like, against some of this strange information that is out there. The other one that can be a real worry is if if the information comes with a whole ideology, so it's not about just looking at the science, at the facts, but you have to buy into this whole group. You get an identity by believing in whatever it is, these are them and as dialogue gets a bit personal, particularly if people don't get on board with what's said, um, I just don't think that's helpful to being objective and understanding what's really going on and I think that gets to the heart of scientific scepticism, which is asking us to test information based on the evidence and being ready to change our mind if we get new evidence, which is really important. Um, And we don't have to say, hey, I'm going to believe the whole of everything. We can believe in life in the universe, but we don't have to believe that an alien ship landed in our backyard. We don't have to buy into the whole package. And also, you shouldn't be in a situation where you get new evidence and you got reevaluate your opinion and then you lose all your friends or you have an identity crisis. You know, you go, but I'm an anti-vaxxer, but you know the, the the evidence suggests that I shouldn't be.
0: So you call this, it comes with a philosophy. And I think that idea of philosophy, I I often, and I think I got this from young earth creationism. In my mind, I I think about worldviews because young earth creationists and um, the intelligent design proponents always used to talk about how they were both using evidence and facts and science. It was just all based in a different worldview. And I think so often when you find these things, there is the thin end of the wedge is something that sounds reasonable, but then you find there's an entire worldview There is this entire philosophy, this this answer to everything at the back of it. And as a skeptic, as soon as I see that, I run a mile Um, or I go and have a look out of interest because it's like, how have they gone so horribly wrong? How did they have one nice idea? And now they've managed to make this into, you have to accept this entire set of beliefs. And you see that the output of that set of beliefs, most of it is just pure nonsense. It's just, it's not useful. It's not factual. And it's like, you know, simple ideas. I like when I read one thing in isolation, it's like, great, but as you say when you're asked to swallow a whole bunch of things it's like no no that's too much you need to have evidence for every single one of these things you're claiming
2: yeah and there's a great quote out of Carl Sagan's Demon Haunted World book which I'm sure most of us have read but it's a really good book even though it's an older book now Um, and it's just one of the saddest lessons of history is this If we've been bamboozled long enough, we tend to reject any evidence of the bamboozle. We're no longer interested in finding out the truth. The bamboozle has captured us. It's simply too painful to acknowledge, even to ourselves, that we've been taken. Once you give a charlatan power over you, you almost never give it back. And I think that kind of gets to the heart of it. Just don't get this stuff inside you. Don't let it control um, your social connections. And once that starts, you know, you're on a slippery slope and it takes quite a bit of strength to extract yourself from that situation. Week five is selling you stuff. I haven't said a lot about that. I think that's pretty one word.
0: You, you've said yep. one word, which was yup, and that that was it, which I think <laughs> you're right. It, it does describe itself, right? If they're trying to sell you something, you instantly have to be skeptical.
2: Yep. And then, of course, there's the techno babble, the um, spurious. Uh, use of sciencey sounding words such as quantum detox um vibrations surely yes exactly <laughs> anything that sounds like a doctor who episode um, like spatio-temporal hyperlink you know is probably made up and so i think that is something you would just want to be careful about if they started using sciencey sounding words. Are they really science words? And are they actually even connected to what this is at all? Is it a bottle of water in there claiming quantum effects? Um, It's probably not going to be true. If you go into the newsletter, there's a little link in there as well to a video that looks like Michael Schirmer in there. And um, they're doing a very good demonstration of some of that um, jagonistic talking. I guess the final one is just it's not yet science. So sometimes I don't know if it's over-enthusiasm or um, perhaps just trying to get clicks, people will talk about the preprint or pre-study, or perhaps a part way through some research, or maybe there's just a really tiny sample that isn't representative. And what I would say is that's not science yet. That's um speculation, that's opinion, but until you know the research is completed. It's it's not science, so I came across some people recently that they're selling a product involved with sleep and um, they are currently conducting their rigorous clinical research for the product that they're already selling. Um, So they don't get to rely on that research, no matter how rigorous it is, if they uh, haven't actually completed it yet. (laughs)
0: Yeah, this we see all the time with alternative medicine, right, that they've been selling it for 50 years. And now suddenly they've managed to, after buying a Bentley and a nice mansion, save enough money that they can pay for a small pilot study at a university. And off they go, hoping that, you know, if there's only 12 people in the study, maybe it'll show some kind of positive result that then they can shop around the world saying, look, Our product works because it happened to work for 12 university students who were all elite athletes. Therefore, it's going to help grandmas to um, be more energetic or sleep at night or something.
2: That's right. And and so I think if you're going to talk about something that's in progress, you need to very honestly say this is research being conducted and and be very careful. But even then, the media can pick it up and misreport it. Um, There was a disclaimer in the... By the Mectin study, it was preprint, it wasn't research, and that didn't turn out so well. So you, you have to kind of go out of your way to stop people thinking that, yeah, why would scientists research this if it wasn't something that was true? Well, the whole point of science is that we're trying to test it, and it could be true or it could not be true. And, and so the fact that someone's conducting research on it, you can't take a lot from that, really.
0: Yeah And I I think we should go further. I mean, my personal opinion is you really shouldn't be selling something until you have finished the testing and you know that it works. And at the very least, as we argued recently, our society argued for the therapeutic products bill, you shouldn't be allowed to make specific health claims about it until you've proven that it is actually able to help with that health condition, that you can't put the cart before the horse. You can't make the claims before you've shown that it can actually do it. And this should be the same for alternative medicine. And hearing all these people, all these health companies, alternative health companies trying to argue to MPs that they're different and they deserve an exemption because it's just natural. It should be fine. It's like, no, you can't say it does something until you can show that it does something. That's how the law should be.
2: So that, that's my seven things, some food for thought. If people want to start Marie kondo in their feed and stopping that junk getting in their head, That's it. And I guess the advantage of that is more time to listen to real science or read real science or spend with your kids or, you know, nap. Um, But, you know, some of these things are better time spent than doom scrolling bad news.
0: I I really like that idea of just not putting it in there in the first place like why undo something that you don't have to consume in the first place and then you don't have to unravel it and tell your brain why it's nonsense although at the same time i i would like to put a shout out out there for all the people like me and and bromwin who to an extent love to dive into the nonsense and i know al as well seems to love it and presumably katrina you i imagine at times will jump headlong into nonsense and and just use it as entertainment, use it as something that's like, oh, how crazy is this? What kind of weirdness is out there? Um, Because I think as skeptics, once we are not necessarily immune, but at least less likely to be sucked in by something, it can be really interesting to look at it dispassionately and just look at all the tricks that they're using, look at all the ways in which they're trying to convince you that black is white and and false is true.
1: But at the same time, as we were just talking about you, we have these, you know, how can i say it the big men and the women of science and skepticism who have somehow lost their way over the past few years you know people who like richard dawkins who you know we once all adored or most of us adored and then you know yeah
0: and and here here we are not going to get on to the big topic of cancel culture and throwing the baby out with the bathwater, water and you know i mean for me at least All I'm going to say is Richard Dawkins has written some great books. He's one of the reasons I'm an atheist and not a Christian anymore. Mm -hmm. But somebody should take away access to his Twitter. Mm -hmm. All right. So, Alistair, you are up next. And I'd never even heard of the School of Prophets in New Zealand. School of Prophets Aotearoa. Um, They've got a cool logo. They run these conferences where you, you get to be a prophet. And I'd never even heard of them. Totally flew under the radar for me. How did you find these guys to begin with?
3: Um, I'm not sure, quite frankly. Um, But I have good news for you. There are lots of them. What? Not just one? There's other schools? Not (laughs) just one. There are lots of them. There's the Breakthrough Conference, which sucks in young adults. Uh, There's the prophetic gathering in Pukekohe, and there is the prophet training night.
1: I think maybe for our listeners um, who may have not read the newsletter, maybe we should go back to what is the School of Prophets.
3: Okay. All right. Well, the School of Prophets is occurring this weekend in Christchurch. And uh, it is intended for prophets who have intermediate level experience, which is three to seven years of prophesying, or senior level prophets um, who are well respected, not only in their own church, but in the wider community. And the point of the school is to ensure that people are good Christians, that they deliver their prophecies in a kindly manner, learn to improve their interpretation of prophecies so their Interpretation of visions, dreams, ideas, and um, general light bulb moments, they learn to interpret these accurately. <laughs> and. Um, Sounds like a loaded uh, word. Uh, yes. Well, the only real measure of accuracy, the objective measure, is that it is scriptural. So I've stumbled across another thing. It is the Council of Prophets and I can't find anything about it, but it was held in March and I have some prophecies from it. However, one thing that I did when I was poking around in this wonderful New Zealand Prophecy Network I did discover one very clear prophecy that had a drop-dead date. And I will read you that prophecy. By the end of 2022, (laughs) the church will be utterly transformed. So there you go.
0: Wow, I'm I'm guessing like a lot of these cults do, they're probably now claiming it was a spiritual transformation and not a physical transformation, and this is why we can't see it. This is why what we actually see is a reduction of the number of Christians in New Zealand of 1% per year.
3: Yes, but we are um, looking through blinkers, so (laughs) it is only to be expected that we will not see the truth. So these
0: events that you talked about, the multiple events that you found, not just the school of prophets in Christchurch, are these all being run by the same organization or are these different organizations? They're
3: different organizations.
0: Okay, so totally different. And are they, are they all under an umbrella? Is there is this council of prophets like the one ring to rule them all?
3: My guess is that the council of prophets, given I can find nothing about it is an invitation-only one, which means it's going to be really hardcore profit. And some of the prophecies from the council were actually posted on the prophet- prophetic network. And I've got a few goodies here for those who are interested.
0: Oh, yeah, give, give us a couple of them.
3: Right. Well, Lindley Allen said New Zealand... You are turning a corner before where you have been contending with confusion and robbery. I, the Lord, have ordained for you, declaring an end to the robbery. Another one. The Lord is saying to the people, you sit in government roles, you have put a political and financial burden on agriculture and farming. Through this dishonor, you've opened the door to the enemy to bring destruction upon the very thing that I have blessed New Zealand with.
0: One thing I'm interested in with these prophecies, I mean, do these groups seem to get on? Because one thing, when I was a Christian, I I used to see in different churches, was that nobody could quite agree, normally within a church because you've got leadership, there would be a single idea inside a church of what prophecy is. But between different churches, suddenly they had these different things. Either you could or couldn't speak in tongues and maybe in some of them speaking in tongues was fine as a prophetic tool. In others you could only do it if somebody in the audience was able to translate that to English. In others it was only certain people that were allowed to prophesy. Um, and in others it was it was even more that you know the prophecy had to come true. but again, there was someone else who was in the congregation, that it was up to them to figure out whether they could come true. And given the prophecies that you've just read and and what we know of a lot of these Christian prophecies, they're written in a way that's fluffy enough that the person that gets to decide, did they come true or not, has so much latitude that it seemed in these churches to be more a case of, do I like this person? If I want to shut this person down, then I announce that their prophecies aren't coming true and they're a false prophet. But if they're being nice to me, then I can announce that their prophecies come true and I can let them continue in I guess what in churches is going to be quite a a desired position you know if you are seen as prophetic people look up to you it's probably somewhere that I imagine at least a subset of the church wants to be it's a position they want to hold so are you seeing that there's like a set of ground rules or have you seen any signs of
3: infighting no um and I think that's one of the advantages of multiple schools of prophecy because you get like-minded people who understand the church where it's being held and know, therefore, what is expected of them. And similarly, the delightful point about people who can post to the New Zealand Prophetic Network don't have any of those filters you've just talked about. So, you know, speaking in tongues or not, interpreting or not, um, respected or not, um, it, the Prophetic Network doesn't have those gateways.
0: So people can do what they like. And is this network, is this a Facebook group?
3: No, New Zealand Prophetic Network is, um, it's a web website. Okay. And um, yeah, so this, this particular one by Linley Allen is very long and she's definitely on the side of the farmers. It's, I won't read you much of it. Oh, there will be an increase in micro farms across the nation. There are micro farm plans in God's heart. Well, that's nice. Uh, this is right. just
0: something she's interested in, right? This isn't God. This is, And often this is the case with Christians. It turns out that the God they believe in happens to agree with and be interested in exactly the same things that they're into.
3: Exactly. I will read you now a Cooper's prophet. This is from the Council of Prophecies. You will look and see with your own eyes the Lord dismantling government powers, debauchery in education systems, media mania, entertainment, health, arts, and religion. So that's, there you go.
0: That's a lot of work for one God to do.
3: Well, no God can do anything. <laughs> and, and this final one, I, uh, it's v- It's very short because there's not much to it. Um, Nathan Shaw was due to address a church the next day. And that evening, there was a 5.4 earthquake offshore from Kapiti. And he says, it is incorrect to assume that God speaks through every earthquake. However, in this instance, I knew he was speaking to me. I don't think this man has ever heard of the sin of pride.
0: Oh my God, the arrogance, a whole earthquake just to send him a message.
3: Exactly.
2: The earthquake centered on him. I, I seriously doubt. Like if you're going to if you're God and you're gonna direct, you know, an earthquake at someone, surely you would center the earthquake on that person with big flashing well, lights just They to might get point.
0: killed. Yeah. So far <laughs> enough away that it's not gonna kill them, but close enough it gets their attention. So there's probably a sweet spot that ah, only who knows about.
3: Yes. He's probably murdering them is counterproductive if you're trying <laughs> yeah. to send God's message, isn't it? However. You don't actually have to wait for a conference. The Catch the Fire Church in Auckland offers personal prophecy, dream interpretation, and prophetic training available by Zoom, 30 minutes, donation, $30. As I have pointed out before, it is God will not necessarily turn up. But given that these consultations are in high demand, it sounds as if they're fully booked. And poor God has to turn up every 30 minutes or so on demand to deliver the prophecies.
0: I mean, this is just Christian-friendly psychic
3: services, isn't it? Well, it's probably Christian-friendly cold reading.
1: But the thing is about prophecies, I mean, they don't necessarily have to be prophetic, particularly within the Pentecostal and charismatic movements that, you know, prophecy is considered one of those vocal gifts from God. It can just be sort of any utterance, but it is understood actually within those groups that uh, prophecies can be valuable. And so what they try to do is they try to teach the prophets not to say anything in the first person. So you don't say, I, the Lord, it's the, you know the Lord has said this, the Lord has done that, the Lord has ordained for you. That's where you see, you know, if you take a look at sort of those little um, um, examples that you're reading, you know, it's sort of, yeah, third
3: person. You're correct. Um, in fact, some of the instructions I have read, you're not allowed to say, the Lord has told me, or something equally, I am speaking on behalf of the Lord. But... There is another aspect to this which popped up, which is false prophets. Mm -hmm. Now, I pointed out that the um, rock star prophets who predicted the re-election of Donald Trump and then proceeded to walk it back were crucified by their followers. And, you know, the followers were really, really nasty, including death threats. There were a lot of rock star prophets who didn't walk it back. So if you Google false prophets, you can find quite a lot of interesting stuff. For example, there's a condemnation of all the prophets who predicted Donald Trump's re-election, not only those who walk back. Someone very firmly says, false prophets preach the doctrine of prosperity. Give your past money and you will get rich. And uh, on the safeguard your soul site, the false prophets can be found in the Reformed or Calvinistic Church, Emergent Church, Seeker-Friendly, New Apostolic Reformation, Dominionism, Dispensationalism, Ecumenism, World Council of Churches, National Council of Churches, Charismatic Movement, New Evangelism, Roman Catholicism, more rigid, and so it goes on. So
0: this 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 is a sales technique, right? This is you can't trust all of these prophets, but you can trust me. Come to me for your prophecies because I'm the real deal, but these are all false prophets. These aren't trustworthy. This seems like the kind of backstabbing that I was looking for. I'm enjoying this bit.
3: Okay. Well, I, I stumbled across another prophets, um, and on the site endtimeprophets.com. I had a list of them. There were dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens (laughs) of false prophets, most of whom I had never heard of. There is a site called Prophecies of Revelation, which has a list of a couple of dozen false prophets. I have trimmed it. The Pope of Rome.
0: Good start. I like it.
3: Norman Vincent Peel. Mother Teresa. Billy Graham. Joel Osteen. His prosperity gospel. So is Kenneth Copeland and Paula White and the gorgeously named Creflo A. Dollar.
0: Dollar. <laughs> Creflo Dollar is a, uh, a king of late night television prosperity gospel. Yeah, he really yep. is. Give me money and God will bless you with more.
3: Exactly. few more. John Calvin.
0: Oh, okay. I like it. Go to the root of Calvinism.
3: C.S. Lewis. Apologist Oprah with Winfrey. bad arguments.
0: Sorry, who was that?
3: Oprah Winfrey.
0: Oh, oh. Is she even a Christian?
3: Uh, Most Americans are. A good point. Has she actually... I don't think Mother Teresa
2: and Oprah Winfrey actually claim to be hearing the word of God and to be prophets.
3: It feels like they've just put names People they
0: don't like. Christians who think differently to them.
3: My final one is Ellen DeGeneres.
0: (laughs) 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 Yeah, okay. This is a list of people I don't like seeing on TV. Basically, that is oh, that is such a personal vendetta list that is petty, and I'm not surprised the whole thing's going to be petty, okay um that is I mean I, I really want to get to one of these meetings, and if we could find like a one day event happening in Wellington or even somewhere in the North Island that I could drive to i I would be keen to go as long as as, as you said in the article al some of these can have really stringent um, entry requirements, and I don't want to have to get someone else to pretend to be my vicar and take a phone call where he talks about how he's seen me prophesying for three years. That That's more effort than I want to put in. So I'm looking for one with a really low bar if possible. Well, right. I have to well, say, Mark,
1: um, when I was doing research, trying to figure out questions to ask Al, I came across a much older school of prophets called the school of the prophets and that was a school school of the the prophets prophets. rather than
0: school of prophets
1: yeah um so this was a listing on cults.co.nz and if you're familiar with the site they're sort of rather sympathetic to christian groups
0: Uh, again their own flavor of christian groups but they don't like other flavors of christianity on the cults.co.nz website Mm.
1: now this particular school was uh founded by walter simpson Ballantyne, i think it was in Tauranga, and Surprisingly enough, NZ has has given this group a danger rating uh, because um, anyone who leaves the group was considered lost and that they weren't able to, they had no hope for salvation. There was accusations of mind control, bad theology, and causing marriage breakups. But this particular school of prophets or prophecy had pretty wide uh, tendrils. Um, Not only were there branches throughout New Zealand, they were also in Australia and South Africa.
0: Wow. Okay. So it it is, I guess we don't see it, right? You know, as as non-Christians, this isn't something that's part of our everyday life, but I'm guessing within church communities, this is probably quite a popular thing. Something that, you know, maybe two or three people in your church are going off to their local prophecy camp for the weekend. Marshmallows around the campfire and learning how to cold read.
1: Oh, you know, they're doing that um, chubby bunny thing that they all learned in a youth group. (laughs) They're having their lock-ins.
0: Thank you, Al. This has been fascinating. And yet, yeah, if any of our listeners can find me a, um, a prophecy um, training session that I can turn up to without having to sell my soul to the devil and pretend like I've got a whole history of prophecy, I I would be very keen to do that. So please get in contact if you can find me somewhere I can learn to be prophetic rather I, than pathetic. I
3: I've, I've been going through uh, same thing Bronwyn is which is the New Zealand list of cults, and I should be able to find you something. Um, there is just one other thing mm. uh, which actually popped up on this page of false prophets, and now all you heathens should listen carefully because it's entitled, What to Do If You're Left Behind?
0: Oh, this is the
3: rapture left behind? All the Christians have disappeared, and you haven't. So what do you do? What you do? Repent. Jesus is giving you one last opportunity. (laughs) Accept him now, and you can still make the second coming when Jesus will come back for you at the end of the tribulation.
0: Well, thank goodness for that. Yeah, um, it is going to be weird. That day that all the Christians disappear is going to be a, a very strange day in our future if it happens.
3: There, there you go. Once again, I've had a lot of fun diving down these mad rabbit holes.
0: <laughs> You've done a good job. Honestly, I think Bronwyn's getting a little bit worried that you're going to be uh, stealing her crown for deep dives into the weirdness.
1: No, oh. I, have, I have a good repertoire in my back pocket. <laughs>
0: Yeah, actually, uh, Bronwyn is able to pull out a new one every week, which is pretty impressive. Although sometimes she gets too in-depth, like with your current series, that it's it's taken two newsletters in order to get the story of Boater out there. And how was that for a segue?
1: Well, pretty OK-ish segue there, Mark.
0: Pretty OK-ish. Oh, God well... damn it. That, that was inspired. <laughs> Come on.
1: Uh, no, no. Inspired was uh, what Craig pulled on me last time about the Jolly Billboards, and I just couldn't pick up on it. That was inspired. <laughs>
0: All right, so Bronwyn, tell us about BOTA.
1: Well, what can I tell you about BOTA? We speak, I think we've spoken about BOTA a couple of times on previous podcasts, haven't we?
0: I think we might have name dropped them, but we've never done a full thing on BOTA or Builders of the Additum, as we've learned to pronounce it.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, builders of the Additum. They are a American founded organization. They've been in operation since about 1922, but not in their current form. Um, they were founded by a stage magician named Paul Foster Case, who was also involved or became involved later in life in the liberal Catholic church and the Ma- the Freemasons, but he was actually probably not an unbroken lineage to the, uh, hermetic order of the golden dawn, but certainly, um, in one of their first American branches, uh, post the schism with, uh, Samuel Mathers. Um, so yeah, what can I say about Paul Foster Case, uh, Just a guy who gets married a lot. (laughs) Yeah, has about five wives. But, you know, it all goes back to the Golden Dawn. Very big scholar, wrote a lot about tarot cards, became very into and obsessed about the message I can get with tarot cards. But as we sort of, you know, if you know anything about theosophy, you know, this is a time when theosophy was really quite popular. So, like many people who are working in the occult in the early 20th century, Any good occultist has some sort of connection to Master R or Comp St. Germain, you know, or the spirit of Comp St. Germain. That's kind of, you know, your calling card that you are a legit
0: occultist. So Master R is who or what?
1: Um, One of the grandmasters in theosophy who is just, you know, contacts, you know, chosen people and divulges all this ancient wisdom.
0: So, is not a physical person. Is not someone that's been living. This is a spirit who's contacting people.
1: Comp Saint Germain may have actually been a living person. The folklore around Comp Saint Germain sort of makes him sound quite mysterious and smart and long living. So it's just again this folk belief that he is this powerful and smart person, an enlightened person, an ascended person. And Helena Blavatsky um, used him as sort of ma- one of her major um, sources when she was writing her books.
0: So there's an interesting name that you've just dropped. And this is something I think I want to see more of. But the more you look into stuff, Roman, and the more you write about different cult groups, the esoteric ones, the more Helena Blavatsky's name just keeps coming up again and again and again.
1: Yeah, There is just this massively tangled family tree of all these esoteric. I wouldn't say... Boda, which is another name for Builders of the Adytum, its uh, I wouldn't say they're a cult, but they certainly are a fringe spiritual group.
0: That sounds like a good analog to cult for me.
1: Well, I mean, I would have to say, unlike other cults, um, Boda does not uh, follow up on people or uh, put pressure tactics on people to continue paying their super cheap fees. <laughs> it's like $10 a month to be part of Boda and get some books. And if you don't pay, you just don't get a book. <laughs> You just don't get the next lesson. No one's calling you. No one's pressuring you. No high pressure tactics. You kind of aren't even required to meet somebody. The whole thing that Paul Foster Case built this course around um, is as a correspondence course so that all these learnings about the tarot card and how it can unlock your best self and your inner consciousness to the learnings of the occult all about correspondence um there's an author named mick horowitz who i think gave a really good descriptor of paul foster case which was the charles atlas of the occult so if anyone Ah, ah. who's see alistair knows but uh, for maybe some of our younger listeners who don't know um if you look at any really old comics um charles atlas was this advertisement for um bodybuilding you know, you send in your you cut out your little bit of your comic, you send it through the mail for fifty cents, and you get this guide on how to you know not be such a wimp <laughs> when guys are kicking sand in your face
3: at the beach. I I, I have to say that uh, Count Saint Germain um, is one of the figures who uh, pop up as pushing the Nasara cult along.
0: Oh, Nisara and Gassara, huh? huh. Yep. Another great connection to a, a past newsletter article, one that you wrote for us, which was uh, mm-hmm. Nisara's a weird one.
3: Oh, and a piece of advice, don't ever read Levatsky's masterwork, The Secret Doctrine. It is impenetrable. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, I'm taking that as a challenge now. I'm going right. to go and grab myself a digital copy. Bronwyn, um, Bota and New Zealand, like like Scientology and others, uh, uh, is New Zealand just being receptive to these things or do people target New Zealand? Are we seen as like an easy target for these weird groups?
1: I think it's different for every group. In the case of Bota, the interesting connection, again, is made through the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn okay Um, if you if anyone's familiar with the havelock work which happened in havelock north in the north island one of the offshoots of the hermetic order of the golden dawn is called the cella Matutina, and they had a branch in bristol and then they started this they decided to start another branch in havelock
0: north (laughs) (laughs) of course
1: yeah uh, obviously um metropolis yeah so you know someone came you know a, a Dr. Falcon, he came down from the UK, he, he did a couple of trips with his family, and they set up this new Order of the Golden Dawn. In the intervening years, because this was sort of in the late 1800s and early 1900s, the original Order of the Golden Dawn and sort of some of the first offshoots, like um, the Alpha and Omega that Paul Foster Case was part of, uh, Alistair Crowley's knockoff, which was the AA, there was all further schisms, and a lot of these sort of initial offshoots died. So... For many, the appeal of New Zealand was that we had one of the few original offshoots of the Order of the Golden Dawn. So that meant that a lot of the rituals that were there were pretty much uncorrupted. And so there's an appeal for people to travel overseas to just do rituals, to go see the Fari Ra, which is where the Stella Matutina in New Zealand was, was situated. So... Come the 1950s, 1960s, the, you know, the sort of top people in that particular temple in Havelock North have died off. The younger people are sort of not that interested in the old rituals. So there's a real leadership crisis happening for that, for the Fari Ra. And at the same time, somebody got an album, um, the Kabbalistic Service. And that was sort of the audio file that I added into the first newsletter. And that was Ann Davies. Uh, Paul Foster Case had died in 1954, and somehow Ann Davies and Paul's widow, Harriet Bullock, were able to keep, you know, and this is impressive, they were able to keep um, Builders of the Adidam going and grow their membership.
0: Yeah, the fact that they worked together, that it wasn't a power struggle between the two of them, it sounds a little bit unusual.
1: Yeah, well, but, you know, as far as I've been able to read, you know, yes, Paul's been married multiple times, but otherwise he kept his reputation really clean, you know, as a stage ma- magician, um, often for, for it, within that sphere. This was a time he was big on stage. I shouldn't say he's big on stage, but he was doing his magic act and doing his tarot work at the same time that Harry Houdini was trying to disprove and reveal mediums. And, you know, we, we know from figures like James Randi and Penn and Teller that most but not all magicians um, look, really, look, look down on their, any colleague who sort of claims that their powers come from magic or supernatural sources. So that Paul was able to keep sort of a pretty good reputation. Anyone who knew him back at that time say good things about him. They say, yep, he was a great magician, good guy. Kind of knew he was doing some sort of thing with tarot, but don't know what it
0: was. Okay. So of the two, his wife and Anne Davies, it was Anne that came over here to New Zealand.
1: Yes. So there's a bookstore in Auckland called um, Goody's Bookstore. And apparently for many decades, it had a reputation of being in the mind, body, spirit genre of books. And the book owner, who was Frank Goody at the time, for some reason, imported this album. Um, it makes me think that there may have been some interest in Bota because Bota had been around for about 20, 30 years in one form or another at that point. So there must have been some interest to justify importation of this album. He gives this album to a man who was an insurance officer named Alistair Wallace. Alistair Wallace, I read some people say that he wasn't part of the Fari Ra. Um, I've read other people say, yes, he was. Not that he was right. a senior member, but he was part of it and he's listening to this album and supposedly and davie's had some coded message in this initial pressing from the early 1960s that indicated that she was the woman who was meant to lead the fari ra and this really this is a story it's the quote unquote story it sounds um, like a
0: great story i mean it's not going to be true but it's it folklore this must be a lot of fun
2: mm. Um the, and, the and language it, is amazing. The words they it it feels less like a, a cultic control and more like a total immersion fantasy.
3: The words well, they uh, use the um, LARPing.
1: Well, well, I mean, if you're thinking about the um pattern of the trestle board and some of their some of their tonal music, um Paul Foster Case did write some music with regards to you know these tarot keys and what each sound would be and what that sound um corresponded to in terms of music. But getting back to the story. A few years prior, apparently, I think it might have been, um, Harriet Falcon had a prophecy. We're on the topic of prophecies again. And it's it's not quite clear exactly what she said. It's just that, yeah, the Fari Ra is going to get down the dumps. You guys are almost going to fall apart. And then a leader is going to come in and take you over and everything's going to prosper again. So if that was actually true, um, and we were taking it for granted, Alistair Wallace believed in that, then yeah he was trying to make the case to his colleagues at yeah and davies look at this she's the one she's our leader so she comes over to new zealand in 1963 um has a bit of a tour through the north island goes to Havelock north and you know the kindest version of this tale is that yeah it didn't work out um she held similar views of paul foster case regarding the you know the order of the golden dawn their rituals or practices didn't really like a lot of the rituals, thought the rituals were dangerous. And she's like, look, I can take over you guys. We can merge, but you got to get rid of all your rituals, which is right. not what the members of the Fari Ra wanted to do. Other versions of the tale, which are much meaner, um, state that Anne Davies uh, got drunk, potentially on vodka that Alistair Wallace was giving her. She starts speaking in tongues or in gibberish, as uh, some respondents have uh, reported. And people just kicked her out they said nah you're foolish we're not doing this
0: oh okay that's a that's a slightly different story isn't it?
1: Yeah yeah um, but nonetheless it seems that quite a few members of fire Ra were already part of Boda anyways and or had come over to Boda and I think still more went over to Boda after and had arrived so that sort of oh. built up this you know helped them start, at least started building up their first temple which was in Auckland.
0: I guess maybe just having that international celebrity come all the way from the US was probably made a lot of people starstruck. And I imagine it would be quite inviting. Mm -hmm. Wow, look, we've been visited. Isn't this new group amazing? Mm
1: -hmm. And, you know, there's other rumors as well. Because part of my search is that I went through, you know, I really trawled um, the Google groups where they sort of are archiving a lot of the old Bolton board system. So I'm looking at posts made in 1996, 1997. And there's infighting amongst, you know, the bulletin board members about, you know, oh, you're telling the truth. People saying some really dank stuff, even in 1996, that would put some trolls to shame. Um, It's implied that by around 1963, 1964, Alistair Wallace and Ann Davies were in love and engaged.
0: Oh, love interest. Oh, I'm enjoying this.
1: Yeah, and so you end up when you look through these old newsletters that were published in the late in the '60s during this time. It's so gross and lovey-dovey. It's like, oh, oh, oh we're gonna keep, we're gonna keep our uh, Soror and Davies in New Zealand. We're not gonna bring her back.
0: Oh, you sent me screenshots of this. That was like really cheesy stuff that you'd uh, sent me.
1: And you know, like you know, this is this is your sort of your group newsletter, and you're putting little hearts and. You know, cupid arrows in your, you know, your newsletter. It was really cr- it was cringy. It was cringy, cute and cringy. Um, but then all of a sudden, all mention after I think about a year, all mention of Alster Wallace disappears. Um, and the rumor goes is that there was a very uh, dramatic breakup, which aren't, which you know, go read the newsletter because I write about a newsletter. We don't need to talk about it on the podcast.
0: Okay, yeah. so let's fast forward to today. Yeah. What state is Boater in now?
1: Well, actually, still running. Um, I think probably by 1970 in the 19 like yeah 1975 or so um, they already had a temple in Auckland. Um, I think it was really until the late 90s the Auckland group got full ownership of the um, Temple of Higher Thought, which used to be owned by the Church of Higher Thought, and they also had the a building in Nainai Nai, of all places. It's a very nondescript. It looks like a house. I think it used to belong to the ex- um, the Exclusive Brethren at one point. Home okay yeah. um but also in 1975 Ann davies dies and the new zealand head of boda at that time will chesterman is invited to come to la and help get the organization get their gear in order or get their a into g and get their accounts in order because will chesterman was a businessman i think he was specifically an accountant and husband a man named jake russ who supposedly worked at nasa he was Anne's initial choice to take over for her, but he was bullied out of that job within six months. So it ended up being that Will Chesterman was elected into the role. But even then, his role wasn't secure because there was lots of people who weren't even in Boda who wanted to be, quote unquote, the next Anne Davies.
0: When, when a split like this happens, when you, when you get a death and there's kind of a vying to take over, if your group is international... I imagine it must be quite hard to keep a control in multiple countries back then. I mean, now with the Internet, it's going to be a lot easier. Mm. But back then, these groups could quite easily split off and become separate organizations, right?
1: Well, it seems that um, Will was sort of traveling in between New Zealand and L.A. I don't think there's much of an organization in Europe that came later. Same with South America. But there was a story that I read that in amongst all this drama, in the aftermath of Jake Russ leaving, Will Chesterman and another senior person in Boda, they made three copies of every possible archival document that Boda had. And Will was going to take a copy to New Zealand. Another copy was going to be kept in a secure bank. And then a third copy was going to be given to somebody else.
0: Right. Well, um, that I think, sounds I think, sensible.
1: Was, I think it was a very trusted follower of Ann Davies. And but this story has also been um, there's doubts put on the story by people who are still alive.
0: <laughs> right.
1: It's it's like this with esoteric groups. Where we are today, um, due to earthquake issues, the Temple of Higher Thought got sold off. It was just too expensive for Boda to maintain it to do all the earthquake strengthening and repairs. So
0: that was the Auckland building that you put a picture of in the newsletter.
1: Yeah, the one on One Union Street. Uh, still very much has all the. I think it's still there. It's still being it's being used by an architecture firm. OK, but they still have meetings in Eye. in the temple. We've been there a few times. Um, meetings have started up again in Auckland. It's just that they're meeting at various halls and rec centers. And there. and
0: I can definitely say for anybody in Wellington that wants to uh, experience the esoteric, the occult, the the weird, but doesn't want to go full on auto templi orientis, Aleister Crowley weirdness.
1: Look, you don't have Bota- to eat any biscuits. That's what you don't <laughs> have to do. Boda will not make you eat biscuits.
0: A biscuit with semen in, basically, is what Bronwyn's <laughs> alluding to here. It, it's a very low bar to entry. So, um, I mean, I, I jumped headfirst into OTO, and I've done the biscuits a couple of times, as I've talked about before. But OTA, bota as a, as a counterpoint to OTO, you walk in, they're really friendly. I mean, they've got robes and incense and a, a keyboard that sounds like an organ, Um, but honestly, you just, you sit at pews, it's kind of a bit like being in a Christian service. There's a bit of singing. There's a sermon. There's some really nice paintings of the tarot cards around the walls, and then at the end they'll come up and say hello and ask if you'd like to pop back into the back room for tea and biscuits. Um, so it's it's really low pressure, and they're really nice people. And if you want if you want to experience the weird and wonderful Bota in Nainai, Nai. they've got a new website they had done a couple of years ago, which is how I learned about the group. Uh, go to the website; it'll let you know the details of when they meet and. If you want me to hold your hand, I am more than happy to um, to come with you. If you want to experience this, not alone, I'm sure Bronwyn will join as well. I will.
1: Uh, I mean, if I have a final thought about this whole research experience, that's, you know, when you're doing the history, it's all about Paul Foster case. And then this really condensed bit about Anne Davies sort of continued his work and died in 1975 and Will Chesterman took over. Blah. You know, it's something very interesting and very special for a group to survive this long after the death of its leader i mean we are seeing signs of that age and you know temple shutting down but nonetheless the group is still going and actually had a bit of growth after paul foster case and i think a lot of that has to do with Anne. and you Mm. you know people who remember her speak very fondly of her you know you see pictures she looks happy she looks gregarious not really seeing anyone speak foully of her as a human being, unless you're part of, you know, the Golden Dawn and Fari Ra, then they're saying mean stuff. But that's it. Like, even then, they can only say, oh, yeah, she was drunk and we didn't like what she had to say.
0: Definitely from my perspective as an outsider, the stuff I see from her, the sermons that have been recommended, the writings, it all seems to be Anne Davies. Those two guys, they, from my outsider's perspective, they're in her shadow. She seems to be the towering leader of Bota that they, they all look fondly upon.
1: And yet yet we don't have much of her history. I mean, the best that I know of is that she was one of six or seven girls between her parents first and each of them had a second marriage. Her mom was abusive to her. She got quite sick with a lung absence so and she wanted to be a dancer, but you know she couldn't do that due to repeated sickness. So something interesting having happening in her life and we, we know nothing about it. She's sort of a, a bit of a ghost, even though she's a star in many ways of the history of Boda.
2: Do you think this his cool to me ham or is it because it's sounding a bit hamless but it's a bit hard to believe
1: as far as i can tell nobody has a a bone to pick with boda <laughs> um again at wow. the big combat is that you know yeah, the material hasn't changed in so many years, you know, I think at most there's a bit of criticism towards Will Chestman for basically freezing or putting Boda into stasis once Anne died because he sort of saw it as an act of, we need to preserve these works, we need to preserve, we, you know, nothing new now, it's all, we're just preserving things, we're not gonna, we don't need to change anything, we're just gonna, it's kind of like a You know, I can't say a deification, but certainly, you know, an an extreme appreciation for the work of Anne and Paul Foster case. But yeah, it doesn't seem like anyone's been harmed. I mean, and that comes with the comment that everyone reports that, yeah, if you don't pay your fees, no one cares.
0: I guess I guess there's an indirect harm um, to any kind of magical thinking when you're believing stuff that isn't true when I guess when your worldview and I'll bring that up again when when how you see things is not based in evidence and logic and skepticism about, you know, being skeptical of things, you're potentially opening your mind to stuff that is more nefarious. You're opening it to, you know, oh, well, um, my friend at Bota says that her homeopath does a really good job and I don't need evidence for that. And then once your homeopath has got their claws into you, suddenly when you get cancer, it turns out that medical doctors don't know what they're doing, but the homeopath does. The homeopath has the one cure that you need for your cancer. So I think there's always that risk, but yeah, this is really at the benign end. And as I said, they're lovely people. They're really friendly.
1: (laughs) I mean, I think the only criticism I think came up in the early nineties was this unspoken or unclear stance about being gay. Um, somebody posted a letter that they got back from a from a senior member of Boda back in the early 90s. I think it was 1990. And the claims that that person made was that you know, well, homosexuals are often very angry, and when you get to the higher levels of Boda, um, you know, that anger can you know become very very dangerous. Therefore, it's an act of mercy not to have you in the not not let, let gay
0: people progress in the church
1: yeah um however other people other people have sort of commented that you know certainly in the later 90s and through the 2000s that they don't experience that i, I mean well, the the
2: attitudes in the 90s weren't well, great
1: yeah um, but at the same time and davies personally would sort of um often write about how you're you know the idea of masculine feminine your personal identity of that um can change depending on where you are in terms of your planes of uh perception um, yes okay so But at the same time, but another caveat is that, you know, okay, it's LA in the 1950s and 60s, you know, everyone's afraid of communists and the queers. So if you have um, publicly queer members, what, you know, what's the risk in terms of um, FBI, government, you know, is that just going to be something that puts you under a stronger microscope?
3: Well,
0: thank you for that bromwin i you, you messaged me a couple of weeks ago and said oh got any thoughts for what i could write for the newsletter and bota fairly quickly popped into my head because having been to the services but not being bothered, being too lazy to have actually read the history myself, I figured I could cheat and get you to do it for me and just piece it all together. So thank you so much for those articles. Um, I, I really love them, and it's really nice to know that history. And see, the history is actually quite benign, right? The the magic battle and things like this that happened are, are great to read, but there there is no real controversy going on there. You know, little bits mm. and bobs, but it's not a total mess.
1: No, no, and, you know, they're just keeping to themselves and trundling along and it's just, but it's still fascinating. There's still a fascinating um aspect to that. And it'll be interesting to see what happens over the next, you know, five, 10, 15, 20 years.
0: And and just uh, the one thing I think we didn't mention maybe is that it's it's Jewish Kabbalah and tarot cards mixed. This is why these elements have been mentioned, because it's kind of just mashing together two pre-existing ideas into something new. I wonder if I could build a website where um, every time you press a button, it just mixes two silly ideas and gives you a plan for a new cult. That might work quite well.
2: That'd be
3: interesting.
0: GPT. GPT will probably do a very good job. Although actually the filters in front of it will probably tell you that it's unethical to suggest starting a cult and so on and so (laughs) forth. All right. Well, we have talked for so long and this has been so enjoyable that I don't think we've got time for my boring article on crypto. Well, the only thing we've got left now, and I have no segue, I'm afraid, is our uh, is it membership corner. It's called.
1: Yeah. Ad hoc. That's what we
0: call but it. it. It's, it's It's not for members. It's for everybody. You don't have to be a member. Come along to our skeptics in the pub meetings.
1: Well, you can actually can become a member by paying us.
0: Oh yeah, you can. It's $40, $20 if you're unwaged, $60 for a family. Oh, hang on, hang on. Now we're selling something. Our podcast has basically ticked one of the seven items in Katrina's list. This is not good. (laughs) How many more have we already ticked? Like have we accidentally covered all seven of them? Are people gonna remove us from their podcast feeds?
1: If they haven't done so already. Well, unfortunately, because Craig is not here, we don't have an update regarding the recent Auckland Skeptics in the Pub, pub which happened on the 2nd. But we, again, we would just like to acknowledge um, Robin Capper. We certainly hope you were there, Robin.
0: Thanks, Robin. It turned out that Robin found out he was hosting the yesterday's Skeptics in the Pub in Auckland on the podcast last time. <laughs> <laughs> that was how he found out that Craig wasn't going to be there and he was running it. So apologies, Robin, for that. We'll, we'll try not to do it in the future
1: but we'll definitely do it in the future.
0: We probably will. Let's be honest. All right. So Auckland's already been. So what's our next skeptical event in New Zealand?
1: Well, that's going to be the Wellington Skeptics in the Pub meetup on Friday.
0: Awesome. I think I'm going to have the chocolate mousse at our, our venue because I'm really enjoying it. It's expensive, but it's amazing.
1: <laughs> I'm really liking the uh, breads and dips. That's
0: See, now, guys, we've given you we've given you two good reasons <laughs> to come to Skeptics in the Pub. The bread and dips and the chocolate mousse. Please come along. We'd love to see you. Yeah. Uh, and where would we love to see them, Bromwin?
1: Well, we're at the Intercontinental Lounge on 2 Gray Street, but we are inside the hotel in the lobby lounge. We are not at the 2 Gray Street restaurant. You will see a bunch of us there. We have a little tiny sign of a guy who's looking quite quizzical. That's from about 6 p.m. to whenever we leave. But we don't yeah, stay all 10,
0: night. <laughs> 10, 11 o'clock, but pop in, say hello. Um, it's always a good conversation.
1: Mm-hmm. And then I think the next meetup, we have two maybe on Thursday, May 11th, um, on behalf of the Need and Skeptics. They have their 6 p.m. meetup at umbrellas Kitchen and Bar.
0: Awesome. And we have my skeptical activism meeting next Thursday at the Fork and Brewer from about six o'clock, six thirty ish. Um, Come along if you want to make a complaint to advertising standards or commerce commission or somewhere. And as I keep saying, your first complaint gets you a free beer or non-alcoholic drink if you don't drink beer, wine, whatever. I'm, I'm good for anything. So come along. Make a complaint. Mm -hmm. It's very cathartic. Honestly, when you find color therapy online and you get to put in a complaint and know that they're going to be slapped down for saying silly things, it's really enjoyable and quite addictive.
1: And I think that's it for us, Mark.
0: Well, in that case, having fluffed the intro, I'm also going to fluff the outro because I do not remember what Craig says when he finishes a podcast. Anybody got anything for me?
1: This has been the podcast.
0: Oh, sorry, what was that, Al?
3: Hasta la vista.
0: Oh, oh my goodness. No, he says, he says something about feedback, something to do with Twitter and uh, an email address. He always says news at skeptics.nz, but this is a podcast, email podcast at skeptics.nz. It makes much more sense and it will come to us, all the podcast hosts. So email podcast at skeptics.nz for any comments, queries, suggestions for things we should talk about. If you want to come and talk to us, We'll try and squeeze a newsletter out of you as well, but we'd love to talk to you if you've got something interesting for the podcast. So email us at podcast at skeptics.nz um, and we will let you have like 15 minutes of fame. Is it, is it fame when, when you're talking to skeptics in New Zealand?
1: You're world famous in New Zealand. That's what they call it.
0: <laughs> there we go. That's what it is. Awesome. So we'd, we'd love to hear from you. And that's about it. So Twitter, email... Oh, and goodbye. So, yeah, so goodbye <laughs> from us at the Yenar podcast. So um, goodbye from me and you guys. Please say goodbye.
3: Au revoir. Bye. Au